When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. It's over. It's finished. Not the NFL season. That's not really even officially here yet. Not the preseason. We're one third of the way through, so we have a game to talk about, which is great. And also a couple more around the corner still. But Nate Taylor, your daily trips to and from St. Joseph, Missouri are finished because the Kansas City Chiefs, just a little earlier today as we record this episode, wrapped up their training camp for 2021 in St. Joseph, Missouri. Welcome home, Nate. Ah, yes. Woo! I mean, the people at St. Joseph are incredibly welcoming. This camp did not change. Josh, it was <laughs> it was just football. There, there's nothing else orbiting it other than football. I have to say, you know, one more time, uh, super thankful for the folks that came and said hi. Yes. But I tell you what, you know, these 12-hour days, they're gone, right? Like, I don't, I don't have to go up and down every day. I know that I know that everybody who has listened to the press conferences the last couple of days and anyone who's listened to any of the reporters and everything who have been up there on a regular basis is probably sick of hearing this. It's there it's just a long month. That's all. The players, for the coaches, for the people there every day. I went up a few times and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to make that drive down and back again. It, it is a, a wonderful thing. Yeah. And even though, you know, would my heart be broken if the Chiefs moved training camp to Arrowhead? No, no, it wouldn't. Uh, but I, I, I really do hope that we never end up seeing a day where the Chiefs have training camp that is not open to the public because that totally changes the vibe, as you can attest to from yeah. last year, I'm sure. Yeah. And and it is a wonderful chance. Like, seriously, I, I um, this struck me. This is a weird, uh, very early cross-promotion plug uh, to something that will air on, on Almost Entirely Sports tomorrow night on, on, on 810. But um, I, I got a chance to talk to Tom Bahali for like 10 minutes uh, over the weekend about, you know, just everything he's been doing since football and all sorts of stuff. And it, I, I go to that to only mention that I remember distinctly, like, getting Tom Bahali to sign a mini helmet when I was 13 at training camp. And I, I have some incredible memories from making that trip with my dad and, you know, watching practice and getting stuff signed and all of that. I think that is a wonderful thing that I hope really genuinely, truly never goes away. But also whenever you make that drive, whatever you did 20 sometimes, that's a lot of, that's a lot of highway miles. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it is. It's it is it's it's a perfect capture of a chapter of a season. Yes, um, absolutely. I I love the first day of St. Joe, and as I tweeted earlier today, I love. I absolutely love <laughs> the last day because <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we are loony, we are somewhat overjoyed. Uh, we know that there are more football games coming. And as we mentioned in the previous episode, it's always odd to slip that first little that first little game and then you know you're going back to St. Joseph. Um, and I know Andy does that deliberately because, you know, there is a there is a there is a benefit to just grinding out a few more days, getting just a few more of the details ironed out. Obviously they're installing plays constantly. Um but you see it on the end of the calendar. You you see the end on the calendar. And um I mean look it was it was a camp that was so different than twenty eighteen, which of course was 
Mahomes, 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 because mm-hmm. we had only watched one game of Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And it was different from 19 because 19 was redemption. Wow, they got all these new guys, new coaching staff on the defensive end of the ball. Um, we know Mahomes. We, we just he's coming off a Super Bowl here. Like, like there was there was a lot of intrigue, uh, both locally and nationally, because the Chiefs had done something they hadn't done since 1993, which has come as far as the AFC Championship game. Uh, you know, last year's training camp doesn't really feel like a training camp. It just mm-hmm. felt like I got a more intimate viewing of how the team prepares for an upcoming season while again all of us trying to stay healthy from a COVID-19 standpoint but I got to hear things and really understand the team in a way where in most training camps Josh you gather things based on visuals right mm-hmm. so this year coming off back to back Super Bowls there's really no controversy there's really nothing to like again orbit the team other than they've got a new offensive line and yep not to be frank a new offensive line just isn't the same as Patrick 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 or Mahomes 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 or oh my god he threw picks in one practice you know <laughs> he threw three picks what you know? no, you're so you're 100 right. It's also why it's weird that this entire bleeping off season, man, we've gotten so much mileage out of the Chiefs trenches. That's Trench not work. usually where that comes from. Like, right. even if if you're a bad team, it's well, can this quarterback be the guy? Or if you're a team on the fridge, it's can this quarterback take the step? And we just know for a fact that the Chiefs have the best quarterback in football. And so it's like, well, let's just get really into Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, and some rookie offensive linemen for a while. That's been our off season. Yeah. But we're we're finished. They're going to play a football game, you know, a little more than 48 hours from now that is going to be really interesting just because it will be pivotal towards what we see in the regular season, I believe. But, yeah, I mean, leaving St. Joseph is – it gives me some nostalgia feels because, again, I've, I've, seen, I've seen the same – you know, things I've talked to people like it is it is a real enjoyable experience. Like someone today looked at me and I'm not going to tell tell you who this person is, Josh, but maybe we'll do it off air. I, I was hoping I might get that information. But but a person looked at me today and he's like, do you think they'll be back? Yeah. And that's why training camp matters. Ultimately, yeah. For the fans, do you think they'll, they, they're not going to go corporate, right? They're not going to do this. I don't want to go to Arrowhead. I want them to come to Missouri Western State University. <laughs> and I told, I assured this person, yes, they're going to come back. There's really no reason for them to move away from tradition. Clark Hunt, from his father, wants to wants things to be done in a manner that is beneficial and, you know, honestly, Midwestern. Like, mm. so um, it, it was cool to just be like, sir, I can, I can assure your fears. They will be back. I will be back next year. It'll be a well of a time. And the team was, I think the team in some ways was happy to be back, at least the veterans. Like Chris Jones yeah. kind of mentioned that today. The idea of like really getting to know your teammates, really getting to hang out because they'll go back to their normal work-life balance schedule versus mm-hmm. um, camp mode, which is Andy just doing all sorts of things <laughs> after practice to keep these guys involved or keep these guys sort of tied to one another. So um, it's a long answer, but I'm you know I really do like the last day at camp because to see kids to see. Fans get that one last chance to get as close as they'll probably get if you're not like some season ticket holder that's like in row five through whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think those those do kind of matter. I know why people get really, you know, uh, rosy about spring training. And you can do the same yeah. thing about NFL training camps if they if they're doing them as close to what they did in the past in a modernized way. And the Chiefs are pretty close to doing that. Now, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to watch a more dysfunctional version of this, <laughs> that is available via HBO and Hard Knocks. 
Um, I will say real quick, I agree with everything that you you laid out there, and also the Chiefs will be going back to St. Joe at least as long as Andy Reid gets the deciding vote, which he has. Um, and even though you know, I think there are only a very small handful of NFL teams that do still leave their like home facilities to go somewhere else, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the Chiefs are the last one to to hold out there. Um, for a while still to come, for all of the reasons that you've you've laid out. Uh, also, I've watched zero hard knocks so far. Has it been ugly? Oh, uh, or has it just been cowboys? It's been cowboys. It's just <laughs> it's just cowboys. Now look, uh, I'm gonna spoil something, but in the first episode, Jerry Jones has a press conference back in Oxford, California. I'm hope I'm saying that right, uh, Oxnard. But like, they're back. It's relatively normal. And like, Jerry Jones was on a podium crying and it kind of hit my heart. Cause it was just like, yeah, I get it. Like I, I get like, for the traditionalists, for the NFL teams that um, have history, like legitimate history, uh, going all the way back to the 40s, 50s and 60s, like, you know, training camp is supposed to mean something. And, um, but yeah, it's Cowboys after 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 my heart felt a little bit of of, of love for Jerry Jones. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this team. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, here now we've made it at least eleven minutes, so I, I was hoping to get to ah! the ten minute mark. Uh, no, no, I, I, I'm going to push it every time. Every time I'm going to try to add three minutes to the clock. Uh, Seth not with us today. Uh, hopefully, we'll have him back next episode. Um, just doing, you know doing Seth stuff so uh it is a it is a Seth Kaiser free episode although whenever we talk about the Chiefs offensive line Nate I will also partially play the role of Seth because of uh, his film review up on the Chief of the North newsletter that people can check out um been through that talked to him about it yesterday so I'll bring some of what he saw from the offensive line front um as we do continue to make that the uh as we continue to make that the the consistent storyline that you have whenever you know your quarterback is good, I guess. You want to talk about the preseason game? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we actually got, you know, four plays of Patrick Mahomes, even after Andy Reid said we were going to get a quarter of starters, and that, you know, upon further review was a lie. Uh, But I think we talked about this some on on the podcast last week that I was sort of hoping to see uh, that that first team O-line stay out there in front of Chad Haney for a little while and let them work together without endangering Patrick Mahomes. Uh, And that did actually happen. So if if we stick with the first team offense out of the gate, is there anything other than the offensive line? Or what did you think of the offensive line in that very limited sample size that we got from everybody? Um, Yeah. You know, I'm going to promote Seth here. Um, He's written about each of the offensive linemen in his newsletter, uh, Chief of the North. You should check it out. Um, I agree with him on his assessment. The offensive line looked pretty good. Now, big disclaimer, Josh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) No no Nick Bosa. Yep. No no Armstead. No D4. Like, you know, so understandable, which is why Friday's game against the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, we we assume that they'll have somebody who's like on the starting line across the line of scrimmage. But hey, each team kind of deals with the, with the preseason in their own fashion. But we're gonna get more snaps on Friday. So what last Saturday was was you know that that first step which went really well. No wobbling. You know, no uh oh. Like you know, everybody rush up and and see what's going on here. Um, you know, the thing I wrote that was most important was I don't care how many snaps it is, whether it's four or 10 or if they play, you know, roughly like 25 uh, on Friday against the Cardinals. Like as long as Patrick Mahomes' jersey isn't, you know, unrecognizable, I think we're good. <laughs> and he looked fine. I could tell when he came out the sideline, he knew uh, when I rewatched the game. <laughs> so McCole, you know. Drops the ball. It's not a big. It's not a big issue, guys. It's mm-hmm. it's fine. Uh, but they don't convert on third down. Mahomes comes with the sideline, takes his helmet off, and you know it in his heart. He's like, "No, I die." <laughs> All right, Chad. <laughs> and so it's it was cool to see the linemen get to work with Chad Haney. I thought that was actually a, a very smart move by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy to say, "Hey, let's let's get them." you know, reps with both quarterbacks, 
if and when that may happen uh, in the upcoming season. Chad looked fine. Uh, I think the most interesting parts, though, Josh, was when the new linemen did run blocking. Yeah. Because there was movement. Um, there was some snaps where, you know, you could see some rookie issues with Trey Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, Seth sort of acknowledges that in his piece, or mentions it, I should say. Uh, I thought Creed Humphrey looked fine. Uh, Lucas Niang hadn't played in, you know, almost two years. Looked the part. Um, and Orlando Brown, I mean, by mid-September, Josh, will we, will we remember these one-on-one drills where he was just getting torched by Tim Ward? I think you and I will just because it became such a large part of our lives for about two weeks. Um, but no, I mean, I think so to, to, to pull a couple specifics from Seth's piece, again, as you've mentioned there, you can go to mnchiefsfan.substack.com. And, and this is what I think he would tell you if he was here. I'll give you a, a little a little summary. Basically, Orlando Brown, even after, you know, a couple of Tim Ward one on one drills, basically pitched a shutout. Uh, in terms of, of, you know, how Seth will go through and he'll chart wins and losses into neutral snaps. And you know, he was explaining this to me last night of, you know, the, the neutral doesn't mean that it was a perfect tie or whatever. It's that sometimes you're doing a combo block and you can't yep. really count that as a win, but it's also not a lot, you know. So yeah. th- that, those are sort of the three categories. He does it for pass block and run block snaps. Orlando Brown and Joe, excuse me, Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey had no losses over the course of their snaps. And Niang, Tooney, and Trey Smith were all good. Although, as you mentioned, you, you got a, you know, what one one snap that probably should have been a hold on, on Trey Smith didn't get called, whatever. But ultimately, you're right. We're, we're not going to remember Orlando Brown's one-on-one drills any more than we remember Patrick Mahomes' training camp interceptions. It's still going to be interesting to see how those guys, especially the tackles, end up acclimating to this offense because it's still really early and they are still not guys that you would ever confuse for Eric Fisher and and, uh, Mitchell Schwartz on the edges. Like, it's a different type of tackle play. But even whenever they found themselves, this is my biggest takeaway, I think, to, mm. to shove that in real quick on the offensive line, was on, on both on both sides, I think at least on one occasion for Brown and one occasion for Niang, separate plays, um, but they kind of found themselves uh, chasing backwards. And, and again, this is something that Seth lays out of like chasing versus sliding. You'd rather slide back with your guy, but a couple times each of them kind of had to chase their, their edge rusher backwards and kind of win with a punch that, that ends up pushing them around the quarterback. Well, for Niang, that was a, a Chad Henney snap that he was able to step up through and, and deliver an on-target pass. And I think that Browns was on a Mahomes drop back, I think. Um, but regardless, it ended up opening up kind of an interesting lane on the left that whenever that happens in the regular season, Mahomes could actually do something with that or just step up and be able to deliver the ball down the field as the interior holds that depth of the pocket. And if that happens, I mean, there's there are different ways to block an edge rusher, obviously, lots of them. But running a guy out of the play behind the quarterback is a perfectly valid way of doing it. And I, I think that we're going to see Niang and, and certainly Brown both be able to do that in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that I'm really looking forward to, and I'm sure you two, you, you are too, Josh, is, you know, Patrick's dropbacks were one, two, three, ball. You know, Um, interestingly enough, kids, it was fascinating to see a team on Saturday that was like, we know who we are. We're going to go through the most basic task, plays, concepts, and then we'll obviously build out. And we're not even showing you the stuff that, Mm -hmm. my God, the Cleveland Browns are going to have to react to in a matter of seconds versus a team in... The 49ers, who was like, all right, we gave Jimmy his snaps, pull him. All right, Trey, seven-step play action. Let that thing go. (laughs) So, like, they were at the one-yard line, Josh, and they were like, we don't care. Let me see it, Trey. Yep. (laughs) Like, five-step deep in the the end zone, step up, make the throw. Now – what I want to see against the Cardinals is similar type plays with Mahomes. Still basic concepts, still basic formations, nothing super elaborate stuff we've obviously seen in training camp, but in a live competition where Mahomes has to make deeper drops, you know, climb in the pocket, 
Or, hey, little little boot action, little, little play action boot action, you know, that'd be nice. Um, just to see how that looks from the offensive line standpoint. I don't know if Andy and Eric Bieniemy will do that. I think there's a chance for them to not move Patrick at all in the preseason. Yeah. Just so that when he moves in the regular season, you know, hadn't really seen it with this collection of players before um, in those formations with those, you know, personnel of players. But I, I think the offensive line was A-OK, um, no issues. Health will be the biggest, you know, thing moving forward between now and September 12th. Um, but I, I think for where this preseason is going, um, I my opinion, Josh, would be play the starters for the majority of this upcoming game. And then depending on how you feel like it goes, I don't know if you need to show much against the Minnesota Vikings in the last preseason game. Yeah, that's how I feel. I agree. So this this might be the one, kids. Uh, this might be the one where you need to be most dialed into in terms of the projecting starting uh, players, both on offense and defense. Um, you know, they're going to sprinkle more things in, in special teams is, is what I've gathered from Dave Tobe. But this may be the most pivotal game of the three preseason games because they still need to get to stuff and it may look closer to what you may see in September. And Andy Reid has said that they would treat it just like they did for a four game season. But he also said that that the starters would play the first quarter. So you you can just, you can take all that with as much salt as your doctor will allow to keep the amount of sodium in your diet proper, because it's a lot of salt you can take that with. (laughs) Um, and we'll just, it will just see. Uh, Wait, what, I, are you, are you, hold up, your, your honor. Is this, <laughs> is this man intimating that he doesn't believe Andy Reid? So if I could just go ahead, I don't, obviously without Seth being here, I don't have my lawyer, unfortunately, but I will say, I will say this. I'm going to expand it. I'm going to expand the slander slightly as well here. I have uh, a ton of respect for not only Andy Reid, but also Brett Veach. And those two men have lied to me more than anyone else in my life that I can think of off the top of my head. Just been a lot of deceit. Brett Veach came to the to the Zoom podium and told us that Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz were going to be ready for training camp. And they cut those two dudes like 45 minutes later. Not literally, but pretty pretty darn close. Uh, so Rick, Rick, Rick Burkholder tells me... <laughs> uh, just Hold on, guys. Looking at my notes. Look at my notes real quick. Yeah. Just, just. My paper says they are on track. Yeah, to be back. Yeah, just, to, you know, in time for, for training camp. Uh, Josh, real quick. Uh, has Eric Fisher done anything at Colts camp? I don't believe so. No, I think I would have heard about that. And Mitchell Schwartz's, uh, Mitchell Schwartz's whereabouts? Uh, eating barbecue and pulling his wife on a rehab sled, which makes for an awesome photo op. Is very, it's adorable, but I don't, I don't think it was working with what Brett Veach told us. No further questions, Your Honor. I thank you very much. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that whatever whatever Brett Veach and, and Andy Reid tell you something about a timeline and on any given thing, that it's just that they, they are not required to tell the truth, you know? And and in most cases, telling the truth probably doesn't really benefit them. So that's all I'm but saying. hey, ESPN Friday night, Chiefs Cardinals. Of the uh, of the stuff from the, by the way, also you know what? Actually, one last thing on the offensive line front, um, because this is going to I think your answer here is going to lead me to the biggest change from day like three of training camp to the last day of training camp. Mike Rimmers got hurt. He did not play in the first preseason game. Came back to practice after the preseason game. He's been working at second team left tackle predominantly from the reports that I've seen. Yes. Um, What is the status of the right tackle battle right now? Now, this is something that I wrote in March around the same time that we further litigated the comments of one Brett Veach. Lucas Niang did fine in the first preseason game. If he does fine in preseason game number two, he will be the starter. And I remember at the beginning of camp, whenever it was weirdly, it was Mike Rimmers was playing right tackle, Lucas Nyang was playing second team left tackle. At that point, it felt like that battle was closed with Mike Rimmers winning it. 
and now here we are. So I think that's probably a good thing, right? Like you'd certainly rather the young guy win the job for the sake of the long-term future. Yes. And obviously like the, the fact that you could have uh, a month ago, Mike Rimmer seems like he's closed the door on the battle. And then at the end of camp, it seems like Lucas Niang has almost closed the door on the battle. I think that probably says pretty good things about how close those two guys are, which again, I think is a positive given the fact that we think they're both pretty okay in that spot at least. Yeah. Yeah, and um, as I've written in The Athletic, I think Lucas Niang has been the offensive lineman who has progressed the most from mm-hmm. day one to, at the time, it was toward the, the second half of, of camp. Obviously, today marks the end of camp. I don't think that's really changed much. Um, you know, Andy Reid says don't look into it, but our jobs kind of force us to look into it. Uh mm-hmm. So I think I think it's Lucas Niang's job right now, but of course, as I've said before, things can change. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that like from an experience standpoint, where they were a year ago from now is okay. You have a new left tackle. You potentially have a new right tackle. At this point last year, did we know who the backup tackles were? Because I really didn't. Um, yeah. outside of, you know, who's who's backing up Eric Fisher if something goes horribly wrong? What we found out was it was Mike Rimmers mm-hmm. one way or the other. It's just Eric Fisher played the whole season up until, of course, he got injured late in the AFC Championship game with his tour Achilles. Uh, okay, who's playing right tackle? You know, if Mitchell Schwartz has an issue, well, prove to be Mike Rimmers. And so... um there's a case, and by the way, at the at this time a year ago, Mike Rimmers was working at guard and tackle. So we, we didn't know yeah, what his true. role was actually going to be. Where this year, at the end of the preseason, we may have a more defined role for Rimmers, which is being the swing tackle, left or right, because he's got experience at both positions. Obviously, he's in year two of the system. And then your fourth tackle is maybe Andrew Wiley, who, again, has the experience, has been on the roster multiple years, can play guard and tackle, something Andy Heck mentioned in terms of what your value is as a backup on this roster. Um, Last year, it was like Yasir Durant Mm -hmm. and maybe Mike Rimmers, because, like, if I look at his pro football reference page, hey, he's played tackle, you Mm -hmm. know? Even Mm -hmm. though, at the time, he was more in that sort of guard category because you just had stalwarts on both ends of the line. So it's it's all fascinating, but I think right now my best estimation, my best projection is you have Orlando Brown at left, you have Lucas Niang at right, you see how it goes. If there needs to be a change at the right tackle spot, you bring up Mike Rimmers, who was admirable last year, and if things revert to what it did a year ago at some points in time, you know, Andrew Wiley is there to play guard or tackle obviously dependent upon the timeline of both Kyle Long, who Andy Reid said today did have surgery at some point in the summer before yeah. leading up to camp to repair his left fibia or tibia, excuse me, his tibia. And then uh, maybe another three weeks to a month with, you know, Laurent Duvet Tardif's with his right hand as his, the broken bone that was in his hand just heals naturally without surgery. Uh, with all of that laid out there, there are, there are a couple of guys that I want to talk about. Some that did some things in the preseason game that, that were interesting. Some that have been kind of camp storylines. And what I've realized here is that I think two of them are, are some of the guys on the roster whose uniform number is the same number twice. Now, this is a fun game. We can all play along at home. Uh, number 11 is Demarcus Robinson. He's fine. Don't really care. Don't have a whole lot to say about him. Um, there's not a 33 on the roster. 44 is Dorian O'Daniel. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard a lot about him. Don't really want. To, don't really need to talk about him any. 55 is Frank Clark. He's got a hamstring issue. I guess like real quick. I guess there are three of these. Uh, Frank Clark hamstring update in your eyes, Nate? Give it about a week. You know that's what I usually tell people with hamstring injuries. Uh, give it about a week. See if he comes back. I would not anticipate him playing the third preseason game, regardless of what his status is. I just don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it. Um, so, Andy says it's not a big issue. Uh, obviously, we'll continue to monitor it, but all indications now are the first time you're going to see him in action is probably September 12th against the uh, Cleveland Browns. At that point, we will make our our judgments accordingly. But there's if- there's that. If he is not suspended, by the way, big if. Yeah, 
Yeah. Also, man, that dude is seriously going to make it until at least mid-September before he ever talks to the media, which is almost impressive. Uh, I, I figured that at some point he'd get he'd get trotted out there in the media tent, and that did not happen. You don't nope. have to comment on that. No, it did it's not. Okay. No, it did okay. not. <laughs> um, number sixty-six is Austin Blythe. Not really. You know, he's got he worked in some second team center right now. That's all fine. Number seventy-seven, Andrew Wiley. Just talked about him. Number ninety-nine, Colin Saunders had a nice showing in the preseason. He game really as well. has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, all those guys have their own various things. But I did skip over two digits, two two numerals there of of two other guys that have that same uh, numbering. Um, phenomenon on their on their jersey number and it's the guy with the twos and it's the guy with the eights and i'd like yeah. to know which one you'd like to talk about first and which one you want to save for later the only answer we're gonna get on Juan thornhill is september i i just i've talked to too many people there has been mixed messaging i know that there were a lot of people and i really appreciate you guys because whenever me and my editor, Brendan Roberts, wherever, whenever we decide, hey, it's probably a good time to do a mailbag. Um, the questions have been awesome. There's been so many that I really read through and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, we could make this a series if we wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, in the middle of the camp, that that's just not feasible. So I picked the best 10 and I know that there was a large section about what the hell is going on with Juan Thornhill. Uh-huh. To which even Juan Thornhill, ladies and gentlemen, is tweeting out emojis of what the hell is happening? Got so, a thinking emoji, got a decide to rise image, and a, a just continue to rise was tweeted out with it. It's the most cryptic, the most cryptic unit on the team is the safeties at this point. <laughs> Twitter wise. <laughs> Twitter wise. Um, I don't know. I mean, he was, I at halftime on Saturday, I was like, he probably should play some of the third quarter. To which he did. He was the only fringe starter doing that? Um... Mm-hmm. He should probably play three quarters on Friday. I just, let me just see him with the ones against Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler Murray's playing, right? Right? Please, please. Um, please. Please. Uh, let me see him against a legitimate NFL quarterback. Now, um, I think he's totally fine. While also being told that he's not totally fine. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm I'm trying, ladies and gentlemen. Um We talked to Juan early in camp. He said he was a hundred percent. I have to take this man at his word. Even admitting I, that he was not a hundred percent last year last or whatever yes. he was trying to get there. Like he's acknowledged that he hasn't been a hundred percent this whole time. So I have to take this man at his word that at least he's closer to 100 now versus way back when. Um, the Devin Key experiment did not go well. It it mm-hmm. it, it was... Okay. Josh, I'm going to just... Let me look at my notes here. I mean, Armani Watts has had some reps with the ones in, in yes. team periods. Um, can I interest you in some Zane Anderson no. comments? But, uh-huh. but 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 he was out there this week. Mm-hmm. You know, he was kind of taking on Devin Key's reps. Uh, you know, I see Will Parks kind of out there from time to time. He, he You know, veteran player. I, I don't know. You know, Juan Thornhill... Um, it would just be silly to me, and I don't take Steve Spagnolo as a coach who's like doing silly mind games of like we didn't even put him on the field in preseason with yeah. like what his actual role was gonna be. I don't know how that would serve him and his it teammates. It seems kind of productive, yeah. Yeah. Um but look, if they think he's the third safety, I wanna know. Again, Dan Sorensen to me really hasn't changed. He lo- he looks like Dan Sorensen. If, if yep. I have I if I led people astray, Josh. No, 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 no. And at this point, I mean, you say if they think Juan Thornton is the third safety, I like I would right now. I'm not going to put any electricity on it, but I would put money on like Dan Sorensen is the second safety on this team. And wh- I, I, my my question at this point isn't even is Juan Thornhill the two as I think he probably should be. It's are they actually giving Armani Watts reps with the ones? Are they actually running Juan Thornhill with the threes at training camp for a reason that makes some amount of sense to them? 
And I, that's the answer. I don't, I just, I, I really like, this is not one of those things like, man, I just don't get it. I don't know why they're not playing my favorite player. Like this is one of those instances where I'm really trying to understand. And it, you, cause you can talk like here, here quick refresher that I've, I have no notes on this anymore. Cause I've committed this to memory because it was weird last year. They start the season. They play Thornhill a ton. Yes. His workload dips about yes. mid-season. Mm-hmm. And it, it has a couple blips on the radar, but it mostly is he's a part-time player. And then, but if you're saying, you know, he's coming back from a knee injury, maybe he went too hard too early and they throttled him back. Okay. Well, then explain 100% of the snaps in Week 17, a game that didn't matter. He played 100% of the defensive snaps in that game. That's not something you do if you're worried about the knee giving out, right? And then he, you in come a meaning, back around. In a, in a meaningless game. Meaningless. Meaningless Week 17 game. Then the playoffs come back around. He's a part-time player. Super part-time in the, the divisional round in the Super Bowl. Played really well and played a little more in the AFC Championship game, but that did not translate into more playing time in the Super Bowl. Then you get around here, and he's out here early at training camp and getting all the work with the rookies that show up the first couple of days. And then you see him slide into this role as a part-time player again. And I, I just... It's not that I don't like it, which I mean, I I don't really, right? But like, it's not that I'm mad about it. It's that I really do not know what the logic is of the strategy that they're putting together there. It, it is it is a genuinely kind of befuddling series of choices that happens so very rarely around this team. Yeah, um, everything you said is spot on. I I'm looking and talking to people and trying to get a feel for this. And it, it, it's just hard. I mean, um, you know, I know Spagnolo needs to know who his fourth and potential fifth safeties are. Those are legitimate issues. Sure. As yeah. you get closer to cut down day, which is August 31st. So we're, we're trending almost to like, Hey, we only got two weeks to really figure this out. The roster has gone from 90 to 85. It will go from 85 to 80 on Tuesday. Um, One question that I've asked myself that, again, I don't know the answer to, but I'll just throw it out here for people and they can obviously respond uh, however they want on on Twitter. But like, if we're in modern football and the base is no longer actually a 4-3 base and it's more nickel, obviously this is a more pass-happy league, um, is the base going to be nickel with some mix of three three safeties um are we gonna have two linebackers on the field are we gonna have one linebacker and dan sorison based on personnel matchups that you think are favorable to whatever the opposing offense is presented um is what are you comfortable with juan thornhill on the field 60 percent of the time and then when i ask you that well how much do you want it to go up how much of you want it to level off or stay or, or just be less. Yeah. Like, 60% of the snaps is the feel I'm getting. But sometimes the player has to perform at a level that it's unassailable for the coaching staff. And it's weird to put Thornhill perhaps in that scenario. Um, where... When he's on the field, he's going to have to really play well in September if everything that we've said continues true through August, through these next two preseason games, even through the opener, right? I mean, it's just weird to say you're a second-round pick. You were very valuable as a rookie. You still had plenty of talent and range and ball skills and closing speed in the AFC Championship game. But matchup-wise, and this is one of those small things that add up in a Super Bowl result beyond just the offensive line. But, look, they were more comfortable with Dan Sorensen in matchups and not Juan Thornhill against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if you don't think an opposing team will see that, study it, I think his name is Kevin Stefanski. Ah... <laughs> uh, is Juan Thornhill going to have to play at a Pro Bowl level to stay on the field, even though we all have eyes? It's so strange. It's such a strange standard to suggest that not. it's not that he needs to play better than 
Dan Sorensen or even or, or better than Armani Watts or whatever. But at an inarguably high level in this weird timeline, it's just so it's so strange. It's such a weird one. Um, but hey, let's and let, I, but let's let's see it on Friday. Let's see better play on Friday. There were a few snaps where I thought Juan, um, you know, just just didn't do well. But um, players don't have perfect snaps <laughs> for the entire game. But I yeah. but you do want to see improvement. And whoever the quarterback is, um, you just want Juan to play well. But th- it, there's no question about how talented he is. And so he was. Speaking of the quarterbacks, he was on the field with Josh Rosen in the first game. Josh Rosen got cut, cut in the first round of roster cutdowns. Yeah. That Juan Thornhill was out there reading Josh Rosen in the first game. I don't know, man. Let's talk about the other guy with the repeating number. Let's talk about the let's talk about 88. Cause there's a new story up on the athletic by one the one and only Nate Taylor. I, I saw you having a chat with Jody Fortson in the uh off to the side earlier in the week, and it kind of feels like it's happening, Nate. It kind of feels like after being after after chasing the carrot the last couple of years, after buying in and believing that maybe, maybe this time, it feels like it might actually kind of be happening. <sighs> This entire podcast, ladies and gentlemen, was kind of built upon Jody Fortson. It got to once. And, <laughs> and I'm not asking you to go back if you weren't with us from the beginning. Thank God you've made it this far. No kidding. Um, I called the man Jody Foster, okay? Yeah. That, oh, that's how it, that is how it started. I forgot that's how it started. I, I called him Jody Foster. He had one of the most memorable fourth preseason games I'll ever remember for the rest of my life. Because kids, they don't they don't play four four preseason games anymore. Yeah. Um, there's there's something beautiful about sports, and it's it's this moment. Okay, this is why they make sports movies. All right, not because well, I mean, Michael Jordan just came out here and dominated everybody. Because I mean. I mean, if you want that, that's the last dance. <laughs> right. <laughs> but in like the more traditional sports movie, you know, if you're a fan of Hoosiers. That's right. I I just, I know that the Chiefs, there comes a point in a young player's career when they're not drafted and it's so hard to dedicate yourself to something and, and not really have the results in front of you. Um, and so the Chiefs, as I wrote in the story, um, and this is this kind of explains like organizationally from an Andy Reid standpoint, Brett Veach, like, okay, how much are they willing to invest in not just star players and rotational guys, but like, you know, how does the organization function top to bottom? And so Jody Fortson goes on waivers. He does not get claimed. He is essentially a free agent, and the Chiefs convince him um, going into his third year that, hey, you know, let's try you out at tight end. And Jody's been reluctant to have that for a while because he, he I mean, his favorite player is Randy Moss, and mm-hmm. he wants to be a receiver. And there comes a point in every person's life where, how much are you willing to dedicate yourself to something for the ultimate cause? Um, and, and Jody's made the decision to reinvent himself, as I call it, a transformation into a tight end. And guys, he hadn't played a football game in almost two years, and he looked better. Yeah. In every facet of the game. Now, I know stat-wise, he went nuts against the Packers in 2019, which is the only reason he's been here for two years. Like, imagine, good sir, my dear lady, if you've had a job for more than two years and you can trace it back to only one day. (laughs) Like, on that day, I did something, and that's the only reason I got to keep my job. 
by and large, like when you really weigh it on the scale. Um, and he's been a professional. Obviously, he's been a great teammate. He's done things uh, internally that no fan will see. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Travis Kelsey genuinely cares about Jody Fortz's career. And that says something. Um, Patrick Mahomes has, has obviously praised him quite a bit in camp. Um, Eric Bieniemy said he'll he makes he does make their job a little harder because it's like you have to keep four tight ends now. Um, yeah. Josh, what impressed you most about Jody? Given that he is our podcast son, and I know we've both told each other that we're ready to be hurt again. Okay, so ready, like, so ready. We're ready. We're ready to be hurt if if it doesn't work out. But it won't be because he didn't try. He really tried. And I've always said, if you're Garrick Dieter, if you're Jody Fortson, name whoever you want in, in your mind. They are so good at this. And yet, there's even people better. And there's right. only 53 spots. And there's even less people at your positions. It's just crazy what we ask professional athletes to do um, all times. But, I, I, yeah, but just what jumps out to you about Jody um, given the fact that what I tried to explain in the story is just what a year does. And obviously there were some things in the game. He gave me some really cool insight. Uh, but I don't know, just what was it like watching in the fourth quarter uh, at home and knowing he was one of the reasons to only watch the game in the fourth quarter? <laughs> well, yeah, so two two things. One, to the, the last question of watching it, like, being there for the moment of can Jody Fortson do the thing that reminds everybody that he is going to make it miserable for the Chiefs to make those last few roster cutdowns to figure out can you carry four tight ends or whatever and then to have him do that with the one-handed grab that he just looked it, it, he did he did the stuff that we've seen in training camp half a dozen times this year yes. just this year we're like oh that is a tight end who moves kind of like a wide receiver, but has the tight end size that if you saw this guy on a on a on a big 12 uh, roster, you would be talking yourself into like, boy, you know what? Give that dude some time. Make make him a little mid round draft pick. And I think we'll turn this random uh, this random tight end into a guy who could be a real pain in the ass to defend <laughs> on this Chiefs offense. He, he keeps showing you that. Like, he's been that guy, but he's doing it as a guy who did not have a super flashy collegiate career, who did not get drafted, who, you know, had the disappointing disappointing 40 and, and even mentioned here in this story. I didn't remember or know this. Maybe this is the first time he's talked about it, of, like, coming off a, a hamstring issue going into his 40-yard dash. How is his career different if that's not true? Um, but that's sort of one side of it, right, is I just want – I wanted people to get to see – one of the flashes that sticks with you that stuck with us from two years ago. But the other thing you already touched on this, but to, to pull from your story, the thing that I, I don't, I didn't know when this conversation would have happened. I can't say I gave it much thought, but to, to run it through the prism of Fortson's transformation began September 5th, one of the most disappointing days of his career. And then it looking like it could have been over, but then Veach, Reed, Tobe, Tom Melvin get together and have a positional intervention with Jody Fortson and say, hey, man, t- come back here, but start working on your tight end spot. And then you and then you mention this again in the story. You know, it basically turns into a red shirt year for him to to change positions with the team. And then over the course of an offseason, you continue that and then you come into camp as a fully formed tight end. It is such a tremendously unique story that you're right. It, it It's a storyline that you would find in a movie about someone who's just been on the bubble their entire careers and that you hope that, that it ends with him catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl in, in February 2022. Yeah, it's it's um, he is one of the most important people to watch in Friday's game. And I'm not kidding. Yes. Yeah. Um. He also played a lot of, you mentioned this in the story, he played a lot of special teams in the first game, and you, you also, I think, said this at the beginning of the show, Dave Tobe said that you, he expects us to see more of like their first team special teamers in game two. The more Jody Fordson you see on special teams, the better. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and look, didn't make a mistake, blocked better than I anticipated because, you know, I mean, people were out there like snipers waiting for Tim Tebow to mess up. I, that's what I was going to say. 
If you think, if you, if you think transitioning mean, to a tight end is easy, ask Tim Tebow. They had the scout waiting for this man to mess up. <laughs> Look, Urban Meyer couldn't even let him hang around until the final cutdown. He got him out of there on that first roster cut day. I mean, just just imagine you out here scoping a girl. You think she? You think she got it? How I'm gonna approach her? What I'm gonna say? I mean, they had they had they had telescopes that you look at for stars. Wait, no, Tim Tebow. <laughs> wait, just waiting. All that's to say, you're not gonna find that in Jody Fortson's film, okay? Like, Jody Fortson yeah. looks the part. He yeah. blocked pretty well. There was a rollout, and poor Anthony Gordon. <laughs> they do a rollout. The backside blocker is Jody Fortune. Holds up just fine. And then, Anthony, this is kind of when you know it's a little harder in the NFL. Moving on the run, throwing to the far side, just just two hopped it. But the best person on that entire field for that snap was Jody Fortune because yeah. he protected the quarterback. Quarterback had all day to move around, you know, go through his mechanics and, re- and release the ball. I think the receiver was open. I think it was Chad Williams. And poor Chad Williams. Hey, man, I'm just out here trying to make a play so that they can see me. <laughs> Don't too hop the ball. Damn. Anyway, but Jody has looked the part. Um, he was a better performer than Noah Gray, who the Chiefs traded up in the fifth round. Now, Noah yeah. Gray played his first NFL action. It's totally normal. As I wrote in my Risers and Fallers, hey, Noah Gray's got to fall a little bit because, you know, he he was out here out exceeding expectations in training camp. You know, just had a bummer. Had a bummer start. I got no issues with Noah Gray. Noah Gray will be fine. There's really no need to concern. But, like, the guy who's playing the tight end position for the first time in a real game since Little League (laughs) played well. Played pretty well given his role, his opportunities, and his increased snap count that even I was not, you know, ready for um, when we got to the fourth quarter. And I was like, wow, he's still on the field. But that sort of tells you that they want to they want to see something. And I thought I thought it was interesting for him from a perspective, Josh, to say, I asked him straight up, what was your favorite part about playing in that game? Is it the one handed catch? He said, no. Well, what is it? And he's like, us actually winning the game. Them putting me on the field for Shane Bouchelle and saying, hey, go go get in the end zone and him actually helping the team do that. Um, so that tells you the perspective of what he's trying to do both individually and for the team, because if he can make the team better, he has a better chance of staying with them on the active roster. And Josh, I got it pulled up. Are you are you ready, my man? You got your 53. This was the 53, the initial opening night roster for September 10th, 2020, when we didn't know at the time, ladies and gentlemen, that the Houston Texans were garbage. Okay. (laughs) Last year, they kept four tight ends. Travis Kelsey, can you name the other three, Josh? I don't think I'm going to be able to. I mean, Nick Kaiser was definitely one of them. Ding. Two more to go. I, they completely turned over the rest of the tight end room after whatever happened there happened. No, I don't. I don't know who else. I don't know the other two. I don't even know the third one. The third one was Dion Yelder. Nah, all right. That's that's right. Okay. And Ricky Seals-Jones. Oh, I forgot about Ricky Seals-Jones, too. I, my apologies to Ricky Seals-Jones and Dion Yelder. You guys didn't do anything. They didn't really do anything, but I should have remembered their names. Is Jody Fortson... Better than Dion Yelder right now and Ricky Seals Jones right now. Because Ricky Seals Jones was underratedly good for a large portion of his career. He's kind of tailed off and uh, it's been unfortunate, um, you know, in the latter, you know, in the twilight of what is probably going to be his career. But right now, is Jody Fortson better than Dion Yelder and Ricky Seals Jones? He's got to be. Yes. The answer right? yes. Like, the yes. answer is yes. I completely forgot they carried four tight ends at the start of last season because it just seems like something they're not likely to do, but they just did it. They did that last year. And so the argument is they have four legitimate tight ends. Nothing has to change between now and August 31st, barring something really crazy and unforeseen. But 
they started last year with four tight ends. Now you get into a whole different conversation of what three will actually dress when they play the Cleveland Browns, and that's you know we'll get to that when we know who the fifty-three guys are. But um, Travis Kelsey, Noah Gray, Blake Bell, Jody Fortson—that's your four. He's he's almost he's almost there, and we're and we're ready to be hurt again if it doesn't happen. I'm going to be a wreck, but I'm also I'm also holding out hope because I think it feels like he's almost there. Uh, real quick, we can make this kind of a, a both a look back at if you ha- if you if anyone listening did not see this already, go check out the risers and fallers uh, piece that Nate did after the game um, because it, it'll get you a little more information on a few of the guys we're not going to have time to talk about here. But um, I think that we've got to give at least a second to the secondary, which is also something you can keep an eye on in the game against the Cardinals. So this is our little double-edged uh, segment here of lo- of looking at game one, looking to game two, and kind of connecting the dots. But you had both DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes on your rising list. In fact, they let it off in the article from game one. I want to see them both in game two again. But uh, Hughes was the the first sort of corner off the bench, if you will, for the sub packages, mm-hmm. playing outside, kick Legereus seed inside, as we thought that would probably be the case. DeAndre Baker got some work out there, and he was moving around really well. He was near the ball several times and uh, did not allow a, a completion on any of his targets. Also, Mike Hughes is out there taking back kick and punt returns right? and delivering delivering a little bit of a little bit of, of action yeah. to the guys coming in trying to clean up the mess. I I enjoyed watching Mike Hughes return kicks. Uh, so, what do you think about those two guys? Both what you saw in Game One, and what you're looking there for in uh, in Game Two, and also are are those two guys firmly at this point ahead of Rashad Fitton for you? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because we've seen Rashad Fitton's reps sort of going up as camp has gone along. And so he's still kind of in that mix of like second slot corner. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to see in this next game, similar to like, hey, can I see Patrick throw a pass in the intermediate <laughs> to deep zone? <laughs> um, we saw Mike Hughes get that one chance on the ADR bomb from Trey Lance where it was his man initially. It's the most vanilla coverage. Man too deep. And if you go back, and I don't know if you DVR it or if you got streaming, if you go back and you watch the game, um, as because <laughs> I watched this on the Chiefs broadcast. This is not on the rate on the Niners broadcast, which is on NFL Gamecast, which we've already talked about in Game Pass. You know, they working through it just like we are. Uh, no kidding. In the Chiefs local broadcast, you see Spagnolo say. On camera, we were in uh, too high, right? Man, too high. Like he literally, like I word for word read his lips and was like, "We were in too high, right?" It's man to man too high. Mike Hughes gives the inside, which is fine. Um, obviously, Devin Key makes you know a little bit of an angle mistake, bad angle, yeah. Has to turn his hips, and then I had to remind people in the press box, "Hey, I, I knew I wrote a story about Devin Key." Hey, I know he's fighting for one of these last roster spots. Um, no one threw a ball like that in Conference USA. No one. <laughs> okay, he has. That's fair. He. he That's he, fair. He he hadn't seen that. Like, I, yeah. They don't Good even point. run those plays with Patrick and him on the field because, again, mostly running with the twos, mingling with the ones. But like, the Chiefs are doing more situational stuff versus like, hey, let it rip, Trey. <laughs> And he's like, he, but to, it's, it's just funny to me that like, hey, Ricky safety, you're out there for the first time. All right, we're running too deep. Nobody behind me. What route is he running? Oh, my God. Turn the <laughs> hips. It's too late. <laughs> like, like, it happens that quickly, kids. He turned his hips and it was over. Okay? Yeah. Like, I don't need to chase this man anymore. He's going to run for miles. <laughs> like, the ball was thrown perfectly. Um... But hey, you know, we'll see where it goes with Devin Key. Mike Hughes was not great on the rep either, okay? That was mm. his worst rep or his worst snap, in my opinion, because he couldn't go step for step ah. to where you actually have double coverage because yeah. it's too high, man, with only two receivers running routes. <laughs> so, again, hey, first game jitters. We'll see where it goes from here. I just want to see more snaps of them covering more of the field, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Legereus Need is great. Can I yeah. just say that? He's great. Yeah. He's yeah, like so good. Too. It's like, I should really be, 
I'm not trying to watch Lil Jerry's, but damn, what did he do on that snap? It's just, it's it's awesome. <laughs> so I, I do want to mention that. Legereus need in a meaningless preseason game looks great. I think that's probably all we've got. Well, definitely that's all we have time for within the, the confines of this show, generally trying to be about an hour. Uh, but there's a lot more that I'm sure we'll be able to keep an eye on for next week's game. I guess for t- uh, the game, like I said, about 48 hours from now as you record this. Um, there'll be plenty to, to, to keep an eye on. And also, there will be plenty that Nate will be writing about in The Athletic. You can follow both of us on Twitter as well, uh, at by Nate Taylor for Nate, obviously. I'm at JB Briscoe. Uh, expect to have Seth back next week to talk about whatever it is that catches his eye. You can check out his pieces on the Chiefs offensive line at mnchiefsfan.substack.com. Uh, and then also to follow up on my shameless self-promotion from the beginning of the show, mm. uh, over the course of the week on on Almost Entirely Sports, you'll, you either have already heard or will shortly hear, and it'll all be in the podcast form as well, Yeah, uh, conversations I had with Tom Bahali, Derek Nadi, uh, Cornell Powell, McCole Hardman, Dan Sorensen, and uh, Jordy Nelson. I think I was everybody. I'm honestly afraid that I've forgotten someone. Um, they were all great, though, and, and I'm excited for people to get to hear all those conversations. So uh, that'll be on uh, on AES, or either, or maybe in some of those cases has already aired on on AES. But grab that wherever you get your podcast if you're looking for more Chiefs content in your life. You're gonna, if nothing else, you're gonna love Derek Nottie, which should not be a surprise oh. if you follow the press conference this year. Yes, but you're gonna you're gonna love Derek Nottie. You're you're gonna enjoy hearing from Tom Bahali again. Um, Hardman and Power both a lot of fun talking about the Chiefs offense and uh, yeah, it was just a good a good time all around. So check out what Nate has written so far. Do you, are you going to have a final piece about training camp or is, are the training camp stories done for you? They're done, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God bless you. It, it, they're done. I, I enjoyed every moment of it. Um, I tried to bring you guys there as much as I could within the rules of the structure <laughs> between between reporters and and uh, obviously the strategy that's being built for the season opener for the regular season um honestly thank you for one listening this far into the podcast and two uh if you got a chance to say hello to, to, to say hello in st joseph um we're almost here we're almost here i know i know i mean look k adams made my day saturday <laughs> and Maybe we'll get maybe we'll get two slices of beef. Just just maybe just just maybe two maybe two, and we're almost there. We're almost there. I can almost see Arrowhead full on September twelfth.